Amen. Thank you, worship. And didn't they do an awesome job? Amen. It's amazing to see all that God has done, is doing, and will do here at Fairfax Bible Church. My name, and thank you, Ryan, for that amazing introduction. And yes, you are stuck with me tonight. Um, my far better half is back in Maryland and with our four kids. It's Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being here, and it is an absolute joy to be here. Uh, I just want you guys to know this, that we love you, and we are so thankful for you. There very well might not be a harvest Annapolis without you. Um, more on that in a second. Uh, we love Pastor Jeff and Carissa. He's one of my best friends and biggest gifts of God in my entire life. Um, but before we love Pastor Jeff, we love Fairfax Bible Church and more on that uh, tonight. But you'll see this picture of my family behind me. Um, and if you, that's us. And we have four kids and they're awesome. And our lives are a little off kilter. So that's very much a great picture of our family. Um, more than seven years ago, God led our family to step out from the church that I was an associate missions pastor at to plant a gospel um, preaching, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting church in this part of Maryland that is at the hub of Baltimore, Annapolis, D.C. We're about 25 minutes from all of it because I believe very much in the, my core of who we are that this is a launching pad of the gospel. This place, the DMV, is a very special place. People come, people go, but it is an opportunity that we have to send out missionaries that the government finances. Isn't that awesome? Known as military, right? Our church is 40 to 50% military. Um, we say a lot of hellos. We say a lot of goodbyes. Every, t- every single time we send them out as missionaries and we're super thankful for that. But when God called us to plant a church, I had some experience planting another church, but we were looking for a specific network that really aligned with our hearts and minds uh, today. And basically we looked, I'm going to bump that if I don't move it. Um, we looked for a place that would align with the glory of God and the Great Commission. We found a network that, we re- that God really drew our heart to, but we're not sure. Say, hey, is, is this really what it was for us to plant a church with this network? And so we, we want to check this out. It, it's one thing to read something on paper. It's another thing to go and experience it in person. So we went to the closest local church to where we were, and we pulled up to this place called Lanier Middle School seven years ago in 2014. We walked out of the car, and I was greeted with a big smile and a great handshake by this guy by the name of Brian Billman. And uh, I was... It was a done deal from there on forth. Seriously, Brian. Like, and, you know, like it, it was amazing. And went on to continue to meet other people. like the, the Shaughnessy's, the Rumbaugh's, other leaders at the church at that time. And it was not a big-name preacher that drew us to this specific church planning network. But it was, at that time, Harvest Fairfax, now Fairfax Bible Church, that brought us into that network. We said, we want to be a part of this community, this family. Family is a big deal to me. Community. I, I come from a background of coaching, coaching athletics, the locker room, bring people together to work together for a mission far greater than us from a broad perspective and different backgrounds, bringing out talents and gifts, coming together, blood, sweat, tears to accomplish something in the pursuit of which that none of us individually could ever do on our own. And that's not just athletics, but that's what we see in the Gospels. That's what we see in the book of Acts. That's how we are called to do church. And it was that visit to, to Fairfax Bible Church in 2014 where God cemented in our call to plant in the greater Annapolis area. We're actually in Severn, Maryland, right near BWI. So we're a little bit out of the proper downtown area. But we are so thankful for that. We've had worship leaders come and we've had worship leaders go. We've all had human transitions. We've experienced a pandemic. But I stand here today to declare the truth to you that Jesus does what he says he's going to do. Amen. He builds his church. Amen. And he's going to continue to build his church. And I believe with every fiber of my being that the best days of Fairfax Bible Church are to come. And we are with you. 
and we stand together in anything and everything that we can do. You are family. We, I really feel that we are essentially one church in two different locations. And we're going to see that today in Philippians chapter 1, if you want to get a head start there. That's our text for today. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 14. We're going to see what it looks like to partner in the gospel. I am so encouraged by what God is doing here. I'm so thankful for the faithful leadership of your elders, your staff, your small group leaders, your worship team. God is amazing, and he's at work, amen? And I can see it, and, and I'm so excited for what he's going to do. And in Paul in Philippians 1, 3 through 14, we're going to read that in a minute. But really, Philippians 1, verse 27, if you want to get a, a peek at that right now, is really the summation, I believe, in a lot of ways of the entire book of Philippians. Paul writes this, Only let your manner of life be worthy, this is verse 27, chapter 1 of Philippians, of the gospel of Christ, so that whether... Whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Gospel partnership. And it's not any different 2,000 plus years later standing here that we are striving side by side together standing firm for the gospel. Beltway to beltway, amen? Doesn't the beltway area need Jesus? And that's what we're here to do, not alone, but together. And what a privilege we have to do that. This is not out of convenience, but it's out of conviction. It's not comfortable, as we're going to see today. But it is a commitment that we have because it's the charge that Jesus gave each and every one of us. See, here's a big idea for today. You'll see it on the screen. And if you want to take notes, you can jot it down. That God's mission is not meant to be lip service, but life service. It is one thing to close each service like we do and say, you are loved and, and you are sent for the glory of God, right? Live Christ, live sent. It's another thing to actually live it, isn't it? So the gospel in the Great Commission is not just meant to be lip service, but life service. James himself writes, don't just be hearers of the word, right? Be doers of the word. So what does it look like to live in gospel partnership that the Great Commission is not just lip service, but life service? Today, would you look with me, church, at five lessons learned that I've learned along the way, coming right here from Philippians chapter 1 in gospel partnership that I believe are so helpful for each of us individually and us collectively as we jointly work together as a part of the Great Commission Collective as sister churches knits hearts in together for the glory of God. But before we start, let me pray. Father, I so thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. I'm so thankful. It's just an absolute blessing to be with this body of yours. God, I, I love Fairfax Bible Church. Um, I love the brothers and sisters here. I love the work that you're doing here. And I just pray right now that you would silence outside distractions and that your words would flow, that you would silence me, Holy Spirit, and that you would do what you say from Hebrews. God, that your word would be alive and it would be active, that it would convict, it would compel, that it would cut us to our core, God, that it would encourage us and exhort us. God, and it would lead us into a deeper relationship with you and a deeper conviction to live on mission for you, Jesus Christ. God, we're here for your glory and your glory alone. May you glorify yourself in the next few moments that we have together. In your name we pray. Amen. Five lessons. The first lesson is this. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Look with me, if you would, at the text. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 14 if you want to follow along with me. I thank my God. This is the Apostle Paul writing. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, 
For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Amen? I love this passage. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. If you look with me at verse 5 right here, you'll see the word partnership. The word in the Greek for partnership is the word koinonia. It means fellowship. It means deep, intimate connection, so much so that it is in reference to even as husbands and wives, that type of deep, intimate connection that they might experience together. And you see Paul verbalize it in 6 and 7, how I hold you in my heart, how I yearn with you, how I grow in love. Guys, we are not meant as believers, as brothers and sisters, to have surface-level, Facebook-level relationships. We are called to knit our hearts together through thick and through thin on the mission for the glory of God. What's interesting is is an amazing uh, way is to think about this. Philippians is a missionary support letter. The Philippian church, if you read to the back of it and you see chapter 4, you see Paul's in jail. He's in home home arrest most likely. He needs money to eat and do other things. The Philippian church has sent money to Paul to sustain him. In chapter 4, it actually talks about he exhorts them and encourages them by saying, you are the one church that stood by me. So in a lot of ways, if you're familiar with missionaries and mission support, this is like a mission support letter. Thank you. A status update for how God is at work using the funds that you have given me, using your support. Thank you for your support. And it talks a lot about joy, but the essence of it is gospel partnership. But here's the reality. Koinonia relationships in terms of mission gospel partnership is not just sending a letter once a year. It's not just cutting a check. It's intertwining our lives to the point where we live mission together, where we bear burdens, where we give our lives, where we lay our lives down, where we take the hill in a deep, unconditional love. Think band of brothers, military style relationship. You don't believe me? Read the book of Acts, right? That's the type of relationship that we are called as churches, as brothers and sisters, that heart to heart intertwined for the glory of God. This is way more about your, your heart than it is about the ability of you, the attitude of your heart than the ability of your hands. You see, your passions of your heart drive the priorities of your life. The passions of your heart drive the priorities of your life. What you're passionate about, you prioritize. We all have to make decisions every day. Where's my money going to go? Where's my hour going to go? How am I going to use my talents, right? What you're passionate about, whether it's family, whether it's your job, whether it's your, what you do for fun, whether it's God, that gets the priority so often. Well, who's founded the church in Philippians? If you're not aware, I would encourage you to read back in Acts chapter 16 earlier this week, later this week, if you would, to see how God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. What do you mean? Well, when Paul came to the church of Philippi, it will fill by there to plant the church. It started with three people that we know of their names of. The first one was Lydia, a female fashionista, if you would. She was a dealer in purple cloth. The next one was a, well, she was a worshiper. And the next one was a demon-possessed slave girl. The third one was a blue-collar jailer. Now, I'm a church planner. That is not necessarily my ideal core group. Is it yours? 
But look at what God did. He took the ordinary and he's now going to do the extraordinary and build an amazing church that is going to impact the world because people were willing. Now, where did God start this church? Well, he started from jail. Paul was in jail. Now, that's not exactly where I would look to have a location first for a church. And I know you're searching for a permanent one. And sometimes it feels like you're temporary. But this is better than jail, right? But if God can use Paul and Silas sitting in a jail singing worship songs to bring that jailer to Christ to begin to build a church, he can work in this place. He can work at Catherine Johnson Middle. Amen? God is not bound by limitations in geography. I love that. The gospel is not bound by change. You can chain the messenger, but you're not going to stop the message, are you? Because Jesus is going to build his church, be encouraged church in that way. So what is our response? You might be going, there's nothing special about me. Can I tell you that that demon-possessed slave girl thought there was nothing special about her earlier? The jailer was about ready to take his life, literally, when you read Acts 16, because he thought he screwed up so much that he was going to have his life taken. And Paul said, no, 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 we're still here. We love you. God has a different plan for you. Like God wants to use the ordinary to do the extraordinary as you allow God to use you. See, God gives, when you give God your availability, God will give you his ability. God just wants your availability. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So today, church, will you open your hearts and open your hands to be obedient wherever God is calling you to do? See, an open heart leads to open hands, open resources. And we have to do that here in the DMV, don't we? Some of our best friends get new job deployments all the time. Okay, open. But we're going to need to choose to keep loving anyway, keep investing anyway, keep pouring out anyway. Our worship leaders keep going to Texas for some reason. I don't know. We had one go to Texas too. Thankfully, Texas gave one back, right? We love Pastor Hank. Man, I love that you can't chain, you can't stop our God. I love the reality that Jesus, when he went to start his, pick his disciples, he didn't go to the synagogue, he went to the seashore. He went to by the Sea of Galilee and he picked up 12 ordinary men that you and I probably wouldn't pick to start a church, let alone build a movement. But those men spent three years with Jesus. And so much so that four, three years later in Acts 4.13, when they were preaching and teaching Peter and John, so much so that the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, threw them in front of them. And they're like, you have to stop boldly proclaiming. And they're like, we can't. And they preached the gospel. And it, Acts 4.13, I love this. I love this passage because it says when they saw Peter and John, here's the reality. They perceived that they were uneducated, common men. But they recognized they'd been with Jesus. So what is the difference between allowing us? How do we allow us as ordinary people to be used by the extraordinary God? Be with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Be in the word. Stay in the word. Live out the word. Live the great commission. Have your hearts open to build God's kingdom, not your kingdom. May that be said of us, church. Because God wants to do the extraordinary with you. May we stop focusing on what we think we can't do and start focusing on what we know our great God can do. Amen? Let's stop putting limitations on ourselves. Let's stop having the governor set to a certain level. Let's take the governor off. Here I am, God, send me. And ask God to do an amazing work in us and through us. And he will do the extraordinary, I promise you. It might not be your plan. It might not be a straight line. It probably won't be. But he will work in you and through you. Because remember... Gospel partnership, is made that it's not just lip service, it's life service. We have to take the governor off, we have to be with Jesus, we have to live that out. Here's the second lesson learned. God is glorified when we are unified. God is glorified when we are unified. You see, our unity as believers is important in this day and age, amen? 
just turn on your social media, open your front door, walk in the workplace if you're allowed to do that these days, take a stroll in your neighborhood, and you will find something to disagree about, whether it's politics or sports or something. Color the carpet. But we are called by Jesus Christ to be unified. Now, that doesn't mean that we're uniform. We're unified. There's a big difference, isn't there? God brings us from a very diverse background, and I love the diversity here at this church. I love the diversity in our church. I love how God continues to work. But what unifies us is the crimson blood of Jesus Christ. See, true unity comes only through gospel centrality. It doesn't mean we all have to root for the Minnesota sports teams, Ryan, or even vote the same. But it does mean we have to stand on the word of God and be unified around the essentials and have freedom and grace in the non-essentials. It means putting the gospel above all and practicing God's grace to all and above all, loving all with the unconditional love of God. How, where do we see this? Look at right with me at verse 7. We do this as we remember who we are in Jesus. I love the Apostle Paul in verse 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way. It is right for me to have a deep connection about you, to care deeply for you. Why? 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 Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all, underline all if you have your Bible out, right? Partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of confirmation of God. I love how Paul levels the playing field here. We are all partakers. What he's saying is, I need God's grace just as much as you. Yeah, I'm I'm not some superhero Christian that has outgrown my need for God's grace. He goes, I need it too. Friends, we never outgrow our need for God's grace, do we? And we can also never outrun the ability of God's grace to save us from wherever we are. So we can't outgrow God's grace and we can't outrun God's grace. Praise God for his grace, amen? But maybe first, before we preach the gospel to anybody else, preach the gospel to ourselves each and every morning. Remind ourselves of our need for God's grace and the sufficiency of his grace. Paul's doing that right here. He's saying we all need. Now, do you think everybody in the entire area of Philippi would have voted for the same candidate? No. Would they have preferred the same sports team? No. Would they have liked certain things? No. Would every single one of the 12 disciples have been the same? No. How do I know that? Because they had blue-collar fishermen. They had a religious zealot who was an activist. They had a guy that worked for the opposition, Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was a sellout to the Romans, right? Can you imagine that group of people coming together? They wouldn't normally do it, but you know what unified them? Jesus. And Jesus unifies us too. We are unified when God is glorified. And you see how the result of all of this as you follow this text out with me, if you would, to, down to verse 11. And, and what happens is we are filled then with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To what? The glory and the praise of God. You see, God is glorified when we are unified. How are we unified? We are unified when we care less about being right and we care way more about living out God's righteousness. Do you care more about being right or Christ's righteousness tonight? It's a huge distinction. Because the reality is we're going to get a lot wrong. The gospel says is quick to say, I'm sorry, I need help. Please forgive me and I forgive you. Church, that's what I love about our fellowship and our partnership between our churches now and always. And I believe it's just deepening and growing and will continue to grow as we take this DMV for Jesus Christ as we plant churches together and live life together, it's out of a deep heart level commitment and a gratitude and a generosity for the gospel. I would get in any foxhole with any of you guys. I would take any hill with any of you guys. I love you dearly and deeply. This is home. This is a second home for us. 
I want you to see a couple different pictures that will live out this quantity of gospel partnership in action between our churches. The first one is this. You'll see this picture on the screen right here. You might notice those pilots, some of you who might have been around a little bit. Those hang on the wall of our new church building that God graciously allowed us to purchase in December of 2019, three months before the pandemic hit. You're welcome to visit any time, but you guys, uh, God had done a work here and, and led the church to change their name and change their logo. And Pastor Jeff called and said, we got these pallets, got no use for them. Well, we haven't changed our name yet. We might in the future, who knows? I don't know. But we put them, we took them and he drove them up and we put them up on our walls. Every single time I see them, I pray for you guys every single day. Everything that happens in that church, you guys have a piece of. Literally, figuratively. <laughs> like, I want you to know that. Praise God for that. So thankful for that. And we're on mission together. Look at this next picture. You'll see that we took a mission trip together. And before a small group of team went on their own, our, I went with a leader from your church to Kuala Lumpur to do a, scout, a scouting trip several years ago. And you'll see me right here. I had the privilege of preaching there with, with Nate Newell, who was a pastor there. Who Nate, pastor Nate was here last week. Pastor Nate's one of my good friends as well. And here we are praying before service. My hand is on the, the back of the new worship leader who literally just got off the plane like while we were there. His name is John Rhodes. And do you know the reality that our church is partnered together financially to support John leading worship there. John and Hank, Pastor Hang used to be in Harvest KO and, and those situation a lot forced him to leave. There was an, another worship leader who came in. It didn't work out. And then God provided John to and raised up partnership that our churches worked together to support Pastor Nate and John. Isn't that awesome? And now Pastor Hang is here, Pastor Nate's and, and KL, and the mission continues. Location and geography don't stop the mission, do they? Praise God for that. Praise God for that beautiful reality and that we continue to partner and work together. You see, more than signs on a building, it's a love in our hearts that deeply connects us. It's a word of God. It's a commitment and the conviction. Our unity, may it be a powerful testimony to a watching world around us about the glory of God and the victory that we have at God. And God is at work and he's just getting started. Now we have to be careful because gospel drifted is easy, right? We have to stay firm. We have to stay in the scriptures. It's easy to start to get off into secular culture and you end up in a ditch and you're like, how did I get there? Often it's not a hard right turn. It's just one little compromise at a time, one little compromise at a time, one little compromise at a time, and then you're in the ditch. You have to guard your heart. You have to watch your heart. You have to be committed to pursuing unity, pursuing Jesus' righteousness and Jesus himself in the Beatitudes of Matthew says, right? When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, only then will you be satisfied. If you are here today and thirsting and searching and hungering after the world, you are going to perpetually be hungry. Only Jesus satisfies. Only the gospel satisfies. That is what we need to cling to and that is what we need to carry wherever we go. You see, here's the reality The mission of God is not just for the professional people. Each and every one of us is an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, he has commissioned you as an ambassador. He's put you in the house where you are living. He's put you on the campus where you go to school. He's put you in the cubicle at work where you are. Why? Because you're better to be there than I am. Or Dave Kelly is. Or Matt Rumbaugh, right? He wants you there for a reason because you have an opportunity to reach those people around you in a far better way than I ever could. You just have to be willing to embrace that opportunity. The Holy Spirit's with you and he goes before you and he sends you. Are you willing to do that? Are you like, how can I do that? Well, here's a third lesson I've learned. Is that I am inadequate, so I must be dependent. I can't do this in my own strength. How many of us try to live out God's work and live on God's mission in our own strength and fall greatly? Maybe I'm the only one, right? 
In verses 3 and 4, we see that Paul starts with a prayer. He's like, I'm always praying for you. I thank my God in all my remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Isn't it? Every prayer that Paul prays, he's praying for the Philippians church. Why am I praying for you? Because of your, verse 5, your your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's like, you started with me and you're still riding with me. You're my ride or die gospel partnership. Come on. And so I'm praying, I'm, and the only thing that is going to sustain us is getting on our knees together for the Lord, because we need Jesus, amen? We can't live on mission, God's mission in our own strength, but how many of us try? Prayer is a power that mobilizes us for mission. Prayer is to our spiritual lives what oxygen is to our physical lives. But how many of us try to live the spiritual lives without praying? It's like trying to live a, a physical life without breathing. Guys, if we don't pray, nothing else matters. Okay, prayer is like, John Piper says that prayer is like a wartime walkie-talkie. I love that analogy. Like, every day is a spiritual battlefield. God, help! Send resources here, now! And that's a passionate prayer. If you've ever been on the battlefield, you've ever been in intense, you know, it's like, hey, I'm taking heavy fire, God. Um, if you don't mind, if you could get around to it, would you mind sending send some reinforcements? No, it's like, help! It's a dependency. It's the Second Chronicles 20, 12, where Jehoshaphat goes, he's surrounded, and he goes, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, God. Church, where are your eyes right now? And can I tell you that from afar, and even from up close a little bit, and what a privilege it is to pray alongside sometimes your leadership team and your elders. Like, I'm so thankful for their leadership. You have an amazing elder team that is walking in dependence on, they're not just talking it, they're walking it. And you have an amazing uh, support leadership team and staff team that is such an encouragement and a, a challenge to me. And so just keep them in your prayers, if you would. And continue, like, sometimes your, your job is to be Moses and hold the staff. Other times your job is to be Aaron and her and hold the guy's hand up that's holding the staff. All of those are important, amen? Prayer does that in a powerful way. I think we should get shirts that say, hey, I'm, I'm a member of so-and-so church. I don't know what I'm doing, right? That's the second Chronicles 20, 12. I don't know what I'm doing, but my eyes are on you, God. How many of us are like, my pride dictates, I have to have an answer. Jehoshaphat said, I don't know what to do. So he led the people literally on the ground to fast and to look up. And God worked. And through their worship and through their prayer, he provided. He won the battle. Worship is our weapon. Will you continue to be dependent on the Lord today? Humility, guys, not pride. We can, John 15, we can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ, but how often do we try? Amen. If you are remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A big lesson that I've learned, a failure that I have had, don't be me over the years, a significant failure that I have had, that I've had to wrestle in my own heart, is focusing on fruitfulness over faithfulness. We are called, every single one of us as Christians, especially as Christian leaders, to focus on faithfulness and not fruitfulness. When we focus on faithfulness, God will take care of the fruitfulness. When we focus on fruitfulness, oftentimes we fall on our face. Where is your focus today? Don't compare other people. Sometimes you're like, I want an apple. And God's like, no, it's orange season. You're going to get an orange. Like, you can't dictate what type of fruit. I want a thousand person church. Why are we still at 150? I don't know. I, pr- I prayed that prayer. And God's like, get over yourself. You're doing my work. You're answering the reality of being ascending church in a far greater way than in a different way than I ever wanted. But I'm answering your prayer. Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? Are you dependent on me? Or Because what happens is when you seek your sufficiency or your identity in anything in the world, nickels, numbers, noses, whatever, it's all going to fall short and you're going to be miserable. I've been there. I have that t-shirt. Don't be me. 
Find your sufficiency in Jesus Christ. The fourth lesson I've learned is that God is faithful and I'm grateful. Look at verse 6. Look at this promise. Would you cling to this with me? And I am sure of this, Paul's sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Our God finishes what he starts, amen? Jesus is going to build his church. Pastors are going to come. Pastors are going to go. This church is far greater than any elder, any pastor. This is Jesus' church. And he's going to build it. He's going to build it his way. Praise God, amen? Because his, his, his way is better than my way. I've had to get over that too. God is faithful and I'm grateful. Living on God's mission is for all of us, not some of us. We stand here today as testimonies to the reality of 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Galatians, Paul writes, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in good due season we will reap if we do not give up. Christian, if you are feeling a calling to give up, don't give up today. There is a whole body of people that will come alongside you, encourage you, walk with you. If you endure, if you persevere, if you endure under, James 1 says that God will give you the strength. He will allow you to do a good work. If you're tired, ask for help. We're here to walk with you. No, you're not walking alone. Have the humility to go, I'm struggling. And we will come around you and watch God work in you and through you. That's what community does. That's what community does. Isn't it amazing? Paul is in jail, but he's filled with joy. You see, as, our, as believers, our joy defines us because our joy is anchored not in our external circumstances, but in the unchanging character of Jesus Christ. Because God's faithfulness in the past gives me confidence for God's faithfulness in the present. I want to show you two pictures. They're all the same event, same day that encourage me today. And I pray they will encourage you. You'll see this picture right here. This might look familiar to some of you, maybe not others of you. This is Katherine Johnson Middle School. This is circa throwback Sunday, Friday, whatever this is, 2015. This is August. We are about a month away from launching our church. I had the privilege of, of preaching that day. Our worship team led worship, and some of these guys here came to set up. But what I see here is not just pictures and a memory, but I see the story of God's faithfulness. We, it's important to set up remembrances so that you can reflect and remember who God is. What happened here was... Um, we had the privilege of our setup team working through their setup process. You guys graciously allowed us to come in. You allowed me to treat you as guinea pigs when I preached. Kidding. Kind of. <laughs> and these guys here that you'll see right here, they did the setup team. One of them is right now the, the Baltimore area director of crew, which is awesome. God's faithful. And another one is one of our elders right now. Praise God for that. Jesus built his church. The other thing, so I look at this and I see the faithfulness of God in the church at Harvest Annapolis. I also see the faithfulness of God in, in Fairfax Bible Church because this was a season where there was a transition in pastoral leadership and here we stand five years later. God has been faithful. I didn't even know who Jeff Hohenschel was when we preached this and had this Sunday. And Jesus still built his church and he's gonna continue to build his church. And we're so thankful for that reality. And good luck getting those muscles back in uh, service, doing set-up teardown in a couple weeks, right? It's a blessing. Because God is faithful, I am grateful. It's hard to be grateful and grumpy at the same time. I've tried. It doesn't work. So if you're feeling grumpy today about what, something God hasn't done, take some time to reflect back on gratitude of what God has done. Maybe in your small groups this week, or maybe personally, you want to write down five things for what you're grateful for, how God has worked that you've seen at Fairfax Bible Church. Man, I'm really grateful you've done this. Man, I'm really grateful you've done that. And all of a sudden, your disposition will change because you are renewing your mind. That's what Romans 12, 2 talks about. 
You're refocusing on who God is and his unchanging character as opposed to the ever-changing circumstances of our life. Fifth lesson and final lesson is this. Living on mission will cost you everything. It will cost you everything, but it is worth it all. Amen? We see that in this text. God's mission is not meant to be lip service, but life service. Paul didn't just talk about it. He lived it. Now, remind me again, where is Paul writing from? You can talk about where is he writing from? Jail. So remember, this church started out of a jail. Now Paul is writing back to it from a jail. And God continues to build his church. Isn't that awesome? It has cost Paul a lot. I doubt any of us in this room have been thrown in jail for starting a church. But so often we look at the cost and it prohibits us from really going in on God's mission. But look at Paul's perspective. He's in jail and look at me with me at verses 12 and 13. He's like, I want you to know, brothers, what's happened. I don't want you to be discouraged. Your support, look at how God has worked, has happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel. How many of us could write that in jail? Praise God I'm in jail because I got to share the gospel with my cellmate, right? But so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Isn't that awesome? It's perspective. Where is your focus? Paul's like, I wouldn't have the opportunity to share the gospel with the whole imperial guard, Praetorian guard. Think this, they were the elite of the elite of Roman soldiers. They were the Navy SEALs of the Roman military. And Paul's like, not just one of them has heard the gospel. How many of them? All of them. And it wouldn't have been possible if Paul wasn't in jail. It cost Paul his freedom. It cost Paul everything in a lot of ways. But man, it was worth it. Because people are hearing the gospel and other people are being emboldened to speak the gospel. Jesus commands us and compels us to lose our life so that we might save that in Luke 9. Pick up your cross and follow me. Guys, grief is a price of love. You will grieve a lot living on the mission of God because you, you don't grieve something you don't care about, right? So I, I cry a lot when we say goodbyes. And I have no shame in that. Acts 20, Paul cried a lot at the Ephesian elder goodbye. Jesus wept. Because I love people dearly and deeply. And I have no other way of doing it. This is who I am. And I don't ever want to stop. And it hurts. But man, it's a good hurt. Because we should never, we should need to love deeply but hold loosely. We should never grow so callous in our hearts that we stop loving. Because that's not the way of the mission. Yes, we must count the cost as Jesus teaches us. It costs you everything. It might cost you friends. It might cost you money, your time, your, your effort. You can't always do what you want to do. But over time, what God wants you to do will slowly become what you want to do. And you'll find joy. In my life, it's cost me my hair. right? But you will grow Christ-likeness as you commit your life to building his church. I believe that the pro- why many people, including me at times, don't truly live on mission is it's not because we don't count the cost, but it's actually because we do count the cost. We count the cost and we go, you know what? That's too high. I want my comfort. I want my convenience. I'm going to use lip service. I'm going to post some cool things on social media. I'm going to Instagram a really cool Bible verse with a coffee cup and a Bible mug on the beach, whatever. I'm going to wear this swag. I'm even going to go to church. But when it comes down to it, I am unwilling to lay down my comfort and my convenience for the sake of the cross. I'm unwilling to lay down my reputation and I care more about what other people in the world say about me than what God's word says about me. Guys, so far often we overvalue the cost and we undervalue the reward. I'm willing to go on mission, but ah, I just got in this really nice house. I finally got my nice job. I got the corner office. I got the six-figure salary. I got the picket fence. I got the 2.4 kids. I got the American dream. Well, 
great, you got the American dream, but you're missing out on the Great Commission. I don't, I don't see the American dream anywhere in the Bible, do you? And I've had to wrestle with that. Comfort's a big deal to me. It has been an idol to me at times. Guys, kingdom economics doesn't work that way. Kingdom economics says that the reward is always worth the cost. There is no earthly cost so great that it can outweigh the eternal reward. We have a lot of excuses. Everybody, a lot of people in the Bible had a lot of excuses. Read Exodus 3 and 4. Moses is like, I can't go. I can't speak. I don't want to go. And God's like, yeah, you can. Well, I can't do this. How am I going to do it? God's like, I'm with you. And that should be enough for you, right? Do you know that that same reality is present with us in Matthew 28, the Great Commission? We should go and tell everybody to make disciples of the entire world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands of Jesus Christ. And lo, who is with us? Jesus. That should be enough for us. But far often it isn't. Seven years later, one thing is very, very clear to me. The cost in following Jesus and living out on mission and planting a church is great, but the reward is greater. There is no greater ROI in life than seeing a life transformed for the gospel. Friends, can I tell you, I was here a couple weeks ago. I watched with joy and just, it was just awesome to be here. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping with you. I saw multiple fathers baptizing multiple kids. I saw a youth leader baptizing a student. That's what does it for me. One life transformed is worth it all, isn't it? You can have the retirement. You can have the 401k. You can have the white picket fence. Give me a life transformed for eternity. The fact that people have never heard the name of Jesus and I've been in some of those places and far off places in the world breaks me. Does it break you? God's mission is not meant to be lip service. It's not meant to be convenient. It's not meant to have no cost. Because here's the reality. We are called to live like Jesus. God looked at you and I and said, you are worth the cost. And it cost God everything, right? And God didn't hold back the cost because he viewed you, the reward, a reconciled relationship with you worth the cost of his own son dying on the cross for your sins and paying the price. Now, we are sent in the same way that God sent Jesus Christ. Are you willing to consider others worthy of that cost for you? Are you, consider, are you willing to consider God worth your worship of giving him that cost? If we're honest, so many of us say, here I am, God, but send somebody else. Here I am, send me until it's my job you want me to quit, my grandkids you want to send across the world, my family you want me to move cross country. Where today do you need to take the governor off and choose to depend on God and go all in on God? Where have you been holding back that God wants that part of you? Where today do you need to be willing to pay the cost because the cost because today you shift up and you see the reward and it's greater. You see the Jesus and he's greater. You see God and he's greater. You see all of that is worship. Worship is by definition ascribing worth. Worship goes, I view you, God, as more worth it and more worthy of it than what the world says and what I have pursued. Where are you giving your heart and soul today? Because today, church, we need to look up because the mission around us is active and it's here. The fields are white for the harvest. Are you willing to go into the harvest? May the mission that we have together not just be lip service, but may it be life service today. Where do you need to give your life and where do you need to go for the Lord today? Across the street or across the world for the glory of God. Because Jesus is worth it all. And God is worthy of it all. God took 12 ordinary men and he changed the world, amen? Now, I'm not going to take my shoes off because it would smell. 
but I do walk around here and I can count more than 12 people in this room. If God did it once with 12 people, he can do it again, amen? There is no reason in the world he can't take us gathered here today and change the DMV for Jesus Christ. No reason. Will you give God your your availability and watch him fill you with his ability today, amen?